Hello and welcome back to the Seriously Good Podcast. I just scared Danny with how loud I just did this introduction. But again, welcome back. Thank you for coming back. Our first episode was so well received. We got so many nice comments and it's glad that you all enjoyed it. But this week, we're not doing a rundown. We're going we're gonna to focus it up a little bit and we're going to talk about one team in particular. But before we get into that, we're actually going to unfocus it again and do a quick roundup of the Syria table. So... No surprises, Napoli are still top. They're top now by 18 points uh, after winning at the weekend. And the big news is that Roma dropped out of the top four for Lazio because, and we we need a drum roll here, Cremonense finally won a game. They finally actually won a match. And Mourinho was not happy. He got sent off. And after the match, he was like, I'm emotional, but I'm not crazy. I love how this article that I actually found it on said Mourinho gaslighted afterwards. <laughs> For the first time in my career, a referee has spoken to me in an unjustifiable way. Now, it was the smallest thing that happened, and it was the massive reaction, but I think it was just, it got under his skin that literally the worst team in the Serie A managed to beat him. Did you manage to catch any of that match, Danny? I did. I missed the first half, and I missed the Mourinho sending off, but I watched the end, and I was... <laughs> There was a moment where it looks like Mourinho's storming down to the pitch right at the end. Um, it was about six minutes added on, but he's, he's like kicking these water bottles away to get out because the way down from the, the stands is like he has to climb. And then he just walks down the tunnel in disgust. I mean, Roma were toothless and like hopeless. And I have no idea what the defence was doing for the penalty that was awarded for Cremonese to win. Like they just, there was like one guy back... Cremonese just chipped a ball over the top and then Patricio decided to run out and take out Okereke, I think it was. So, yeah, Cremonese, after 199 days since the start of the season, have now won a league game. So, yeah, good for them. They're not the Italian Derby County anymore. <laughs> they're not the Italian Derby County. They're, 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 and they're not Benevento. <laughs> they're, they're all right. <laughs> they're better. They're going to they're gonna resurge. They're above Sampdoria now. They're in 19th. Uh, and also, I'd like to say I, I forgot to say this because I was in my I was in my element for the lead-in. I'm joined again by Danny Corcoran, as always, and that was him speaking about a team that he's been kind of following as sort of like the little cheerleader in the corner, hoping that they eventually get the win that he hoped they would. He uh, he doesn't play much, but they do have Jack Hendry, who is Celtic and Scott. He's Scott. He plays a lot for Scotland, but yeah. So I keep an eye on him. He doesn't really play much, but let's say that wins down to his motivation. <laughs> The, the loose connection. I'm actually trying to think whether Jack Henry went back to Club Bruges. Now, off the top of my head, I don't know if he's even there anymore. Yeah, so looking at the rest of the table, it kind of was a bit, it's kind of a bit of all square everywhere else, except for Juventus, who won once again. They won 4 2 against Torino, and they're now seventh, and they're sitting just outside like the European places, even after the 15 point deduction. And a lot of people are saying, with how everyone else is kind of tripping over themselves and tripping over every single obstacle put in the way, much like Mourinho nearly tripping over some water bottles walking down from the stands, they could probably still end up with a top four place, which would seem ridiculous, <laughs> seeing at how bad they were for a bit. And then obviously the unbeaten run, then the 15-point deduction. It just seems like a season where they shouldn't get top four, but it is Italy, it is the Serie A and randomness does happen. Uh, did you catch any of the match? I thought Torino played pretty well in the first half, 
and then completely forgot how to play football. Yeah, I watched it next to my UV supporting girlfriend, so she was happy. I think if UV didn't have that 15-point deduction, I mean, they would be so far clear in second that, like, almost as clear as Napoli are in first. Um, They're six points behind Atalanta and sixth. UV seem to score the same goal every time I watch them. They always score these, like, incredible headers. I think they scored two last night, Bremer and Danilo. I mean, they have Pogba came back last night, which is another big story. After I think his last game was for United for about five minutes at Anfield last season. United won a trophy before Pogba played a competitive game. He looked okay. I mean, he didn't really do much, but he he had a nice few touches. It will be interesting to see. Allegri seemed to use him in sort of a forward position. I think another thing to note about Juve is that Allegri, defying everyone's expectations, is now (laughs) loving youth players, and and Juve have a really strong academy. Um, Baron Kea, I think that's how you pronounce his name, he's Argentinian, uh, started last night instead of Paredes. So that shows you. uh, Maybe that 15-point deduction sort of did them good in a way they could kind of just let loose Fagioli, um, Moretti, who was already getting game time, uh, Baron Kea. Like, I don't know if it's too much of a hurdle to overcome, but they're definitely going to force themselves into the conversation for that last Champions League place. Yeah, obviously they've got they've got some of those teams above them to play yet, and it'll be a, that'll be the big test. It's whether those sorts of games allows them to pull closer or fall further behind I think obviously Pogba played further forward it kind of is the sort of midfield that suits Pogba in that I think Fagioli and Moretti and all that kind of are very much competent on the ball give a lot of legwork and mean that Pogba doesn't actually have to kind of sit back and help with possession he was playing a lot more further forward he looks sprightly is probably the way to describe it he looked like he was he had a bit of bounce a little bounce in his step after the injuries he's had that's kind of encouraging to see that he's not lost that sort of physicality that he had before. But yeah, I thought he looked all right, and I thought that's that's probably one of the, the bigger stories from the week just past, is that Pogba's come back, and Juve might end up just being like, oh yeah, we're fine, and getting Europe again. But then we're going on to some of the other news. Uh, Zinek Zaman is back in management. Zinek Zaman, the man, is back in management. Uh, love that guy. Honestly, if you've never seen a match managed by Zaman, go and watch one. It is genuinely, you'll think you're going insane because you'll be like, oh, why is he committing this many men forward? Why does it look like all 10 outfield players are attacking at once? And he's back with Pescara. Obviously, that's a, that's a great team for him. Obviously, they, they, they've been trying to uh, get back after the sort of variety days. I don't think they've been back since. That That's the team he's famous for, kind of, I guess, as well with... Um, Amobile, Insigne and Verratti all in the same Pescara team. Yeah, the real, the real hipster's choice before like social media was a thing was was Zaman. Yeah, Zaman also has some very great quotes about Totti that I always love to go back to because he's like, oh yeah, there are good players and then there's Totti. It's like the five best Italian players of all time are just Totti, 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 Totti and Totti. I, I do love. I do, I'm glad to see he's back and kind of he's going to be hopefully in Pescara back up. Another thing, I read an excellent piece uh, in The Athletic. I thought I'd just bring that up because I thought we'd just, we'd just talk about him a little bit. Uh, by James Hogancastle on Thiago Motta's Bologna. I think they've been playing pretty well. They're eighth right now. And obviously they're kind of the ones, they're kind of fighting for this best of the rest title at the moment that with the other, the team that we're going to be focusing on today. I just wanted to get like your quick thoughts on what you've seen from them so far under Motta. 
Yeah, Mota was at Spezia before uh, Bologna. I don't think the players really bought into his ideas and I don't think the safest environment, because he does have some interesting ideas about how teams play football. Again, I've got a bit of an invested interest in Bologna because Lewis Ferguson's there and Hickey was there before that. Like They, they scout a good market, I'd say. Uh, and uh, I think he's been helped a lot by Orsolini's kind of picked up in form again and looks like the guy that used to get linked to big moves. They're a really interesting team and hopefully we cover them in, in more detail at some point. It's amazing. We're doing we're doing an Italian football podcast in Syria and somehow Danny still finds a way to talk about Scottish footballers. He does it on everything. It's a backdoor. It's always a backdoor to talk about Scottish football. And just the final little bit of news, which was kind of one of the biggest transfer links um, over the last couple of days. Obviously, there's not really that much in it at the moment. Uh, Nicolo Barella was being linked away. Yeah, he's been linked away from Inter Milan. And obviously, every big club was getting linked with him because he's a very good midfielder. Yeah, Inter... Every Inter player has their price, for sure. I don't really think Barella would want to leave. It's hard to get Italian players out of Italy, especially when they're at one of the big three. Yeah, he got linked to, to almost everyone and for like what would be a crazy good price. I mean, there's a lot of elite teams that need, a, need good central midfielders and he is just about as good a fit as you'll get for any of them. He's so many different kind of midfielders in one. He's just one of the best players in the league. So yeah, I don't think he'll leave, but we could have said that about quite a few Inter players in the last few years, so we'll see. Yeah, I think I think Dumfries is definitely their, their moneymaker. I think that's the, the one where I'm like, he'll probably go, and he'll probably go for a decent price that'll kind of settle their financials. If Brella was to leave, I think it would be it would be one of those ones where you're like, oh, okay, I didn't see that coming at all. Okay, so we've got all, we've got all the uh, the unfocused stuff out of the way. When we started this podcast, we wanted to look at teams in detail. We wanted to talk about teams much more. We wanted to get in depth. We wanted to talk about the managers, the players, the form, and all of that. So we were, we were kind of thinking about a couple of teams. We didn't want to just focus on the big teams. And we obviously will find it hard to do 50 minutes of a podcast on Cremonese and their one win so far. So we've settled, we've settled in the middle. We've settled for the club that probably exemplifies the middle in the Serie A. And that is Udinese, Il Zibretti, the uh, the team that kind of always seems to promise that it'll do much better, but always settles back to the average. And that's kind of their season so far, as, as they are. They're currently sitting in 10th place on 31 points. Last season, they finished 12th with 47. And the season before that, they finished 14th with 40 points. So there's a bit of an improvement there. However, it's still very much mid-table. Obviously, they started the season strongly. They've only picked up, but in the last ten games, they've only picked up seven points, and they've only won once against Sampdoria. And if you remember last week, we talked about Sampdoria. They're not very good this season. So yeah, it's been a real mixed bag. And personally, I think I like the ideas that they're putting in, but I don't think they're all coming off. And I think you'd agree with me there a bit, Danny. Yeah, they are, like you said, the definition kind of mid-table this season. That they they're they've got like nice parallels. So they've like won seven games, drawn ten, lost seven games. They've scored thirty-three goals, conceded about I think it is bang on thirty, so about average there. They've got 16 points at home, 15 points away. Like, they just seem to like be like that kind of middle team. But saying that, if we'd have done this podcast maybe two months ago or before the World Cup, they were pushing towards European places. I guess you get kind of teams like that every season, but there are some interesting ideas. And it's just kind of fallen off the rails and since the World Cup. 
it's it, it's just a weird one. But I, I, I like the team. I like what they're trying to do. And I think it's good to kind of delve into those teams that kind of have the good ideas, but then you can kind of say where they're going wrong because it kind of gives you a whole picture. I mean, it's lovely talk about Napoli all the time and how great they are, but it doesn't really... You, there's not really another side to the coin with Napoli this season. It's like, oh, maybe they could score more goals. Oh, wait, they're already scoring loads. Okay, but maybe one more then. But let, let's start by just talking about Andreas Sotil. I think that this is, this is obviously... He replaced... Um, Gabriel Gioffi at the start of the season, who was the caretaker manager after Luca Gotti left, um, who was most recently at Spezia. That didn't go well for him either. And this is kind of his first big job. He was, he's been kind of in the Serie C and the Serie B before this. It's the Italian way. You've just got to kind of work your way up <laughs> and just do all these little little jobs and then kind of work your way up to the Serie A and then you'll hopefully get a big job. It's the classic Serie A way. And that included... What is a very funny spell in 2017 in L- at Livorno, where he was sacked, I think, before Christmas and then brought back after Christmas because they were like, oh, he wasn't the problem. We were just bad anyway. Yeah, and he obviously he's now the manager at Udinese. He played for them uh, between 1999 and 2003. And yeah, I, I think it's I think the manager of an, of an Udinese is always a hard job because it's the Pazzo model, isn't it? It's the bringing a lot of players, hopefully up their value, sell those players. They don't really want that competitive edge that much. I mean, obviously, the more competitive they are, the better they can sell them for. But I think that they're kind of focused on if you do all right and don't get relegated and the players kind of shine through, they do all right. And obviously, a big part of how the players have been playing this season is his tactics, which I'm, I have graciously thrown to you because that's the, that's the more in-depth part and not the wordy part. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I brought a fun fact last week about manager. I brought a fun fact about Sotil. He is the dad of Fiorentina winger Ricardo Sotil. And like you said, he did play for Udinese. I think in quite a good period of Udinese's life, they were he played in the UEFA Cup and things for them. But yeah, he has gone through that very typical Italian pathway of managing in the lower divisions. Conte did it, Sarri did it. He is very... Typical Italian, he likes three at the back, so Udinese exclusively, apart from I think one game earlier in the season, have played a 3-5-2. The way in which they build up is, there's two ways, they do have sort of variation in their play, they can either go long and they'll look for um, Beto, who I think we'll touch on in a bit, who's their top scorer. He's a good hold-up man, or they can they can use their centre backs. Or their their centre backs tend to be in a back three. An, an elite club are the ones we've got to know. There's kind of ball playing ones. There's ones that that push forward and overlap. Udinese's are kind of three more traditional central defenders, and um, but they do build up that way. The main thing about how Udinese attack is they like to go wide. They like to use their wing backs. Um, they like to have rotations in the final third. They're quite happy with letting the other team have the ball, but and they do sit back, but they're also aggressive. They want to create transitions. They want to to kind of win that ball back in either their defensive third or the middle third. And then they'll release um, Udoji, uh, or they'll look for De La Feo or Beto Long, uh, and just kind of release those guys and try, to, try and get those numerical overloads through that, that kind of sense. Um, so yeah, they, they do have games where they dominate the possession. It's going to happen when they're kind of that medium f- fish in the pond. 
but if you look at it uh, on Opta, have like zones of control, uh, and blue is where you they have more control, red is where they have less control. Udinese's entire attacking half of the pitch is red. They don't care about having the ball for long periods in that in that sense. It's his first job in Serie A, I think, um, Sotil. It's gone pretty well so far. There's been ups and downs, like we've mentioned. But they're an interesting team. They're very Italian in how they play. I think I think that's, there's a lot to build on. And I think, like you said, the expectations for a new Danish manager are strange. I think it's more focused on, okay, get yourself sort of mid-table and develop some of these younger guys that we're going to bring in for you so we can sell them for a profit. And then that cycle will just start again and again and again. Yeah, I think in general, when we look at the three centre-backs, I think they kind of tried to do a little bit more of bringing them out of the traditional sense. I think Adam Messina's naturally left-back. They brought him from Watford, which is a link we're going to mention slightly in a bit. Um, he's naturally left-back. He's not getting over dodgy, but he's going to kind of does a little bit of the carrying work and a little bit more of the defensive work on the left-hand side. But we're going to move on to the summer window because I think, obviously, the players that they brought in in... Or the players that they lost and then brought in in 2022 are very important for how they play this season. They obviously sold a dodgy. They bought the they loaned him in from Hellas Verona. They then made the deal permanent for four million euros according to transfer market. They then sold him straight away for 18 million euros to Tottenham. Tottenham then loaned him back because they obviously brought in Perisic and they had Sessegnon and they kind of had other players there. But yeah, I think that was that was a big win for them this season. Obviously, they made an instant profit on Adoji and they've kind of kept him. However, on the other side of the pitch, they did lose Nahum Molina, who was really good last season. He got seven goals, he got five assists. He kind of dominated that right-hand side for them. Yeah, they brought in Hassan Kamara for 19 million euros, which I'm going to say raised eyebrows because they bought him for Watford for that much money and then loaned him instantly back to Watford. And I'm just going to point out the very factual evidence that they're both owned by the Pozzo family. I, I I think this window, in terms of the outgoings, it shows the model that we mentioned, but it kind of undercut a lot of what they were doing. I think, obviously, they lost three right-backs. So they had to completely rebuild the right-hand side. And as you said, they'd like to go wide on that right-hand side. And they also lost a couple of, like, the bit part guys or the younger players um, that kind of filled in the gaps. Yeah, I think they lost Brandon Soppy as well, to, who was picked up by Atalanta, who was is, is very promising. He's got quite a bit of game time for Atalanta this season, and well, it's looked good. Like Before he went to Udinese, he was quite highly sought after. I remember Celtic being linked to them. I remember a couple of the big teams in Turkey being linked to him. I think it's just the model. That was a strange one because they kind of sold him before his value was kind of peaking. And like we said, like Udinese want to try and make a big profit. I think the biggest one in the last few years is obviously Rodrigo De Paul. They also had Seiko Fafana at Long, who they trained. I think on their incoming recruitment is very interesting. The markets they kind of utilise are, are interesting. And obviously there's the Watford link. So... They brought in Ebiseli, who's a 19-year-old uh, right wing back who's got a bit of game time. He came from Derby County. He's Irish, and he's not the only Irishman in their squad. The other one's a 19-year-old defender hasn't had game time yet. If we look at like where their players come from. There's Ireland. Um, they got Beto last summer, who's been a revelation permanently from Portimonense in Portugal. They brought in Biol, who is a starting fixture in the defence from CSK Moscow. 
in Russia. They like to shop at sort of the smaller teams in France. They got a Bose for €4 million Euros from Angers. Udinese are kind of renowned for their scouting and things like that. The Pozzos have always done that well. Even at Watford, I mean, they brought in like Richarlison and things like that from, from Brazil. So yeah, I think they do really interesting business, but it's just sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. And some of the business is very... <laughs> interesting with Watford like you mentioned yeah I think obviously I think the Udinese business is a lot better than what they do with Watford because Watford it does seem like they just go to the cheaper end of the spectrum and then hopefully because they know obviously with Udinese they know there's mid-table they know they can kind of get better guys who will eventually be worth like 25 to 30 million I think with Watford they know that they're basically going for the 1 million guys will end up being worth 10 million when they get relegated. I quite liked uh, Sandy Lovrich from who they got from Lugano on a free. I think he's been quite a good fixture in the middle of the middle of the park for them. And yeah, I think it's you you kind of see with the transfer when you look at the spattering of the ages. There's you can see the guys that they're looking to develop in the the near future to sell. And you can see what the guys that they they've kind of brought in to be the next one. They, they, they're very good at doing that as well where they get slightly ahead and that's why I think you said Soppy was a bit of a weird one because it looked like he was the next guy after Molina and obviously they sold him at the same time and obviously the January window was another one with kind of weird transfers they brought in Matthias Martins from Fluminense I think he's a good signing I think obviously he's, he's one of, there was a really big move to South America this January window I think a lot of people were just basically raiding South American clubs and I'm still trying to figure out why i mean there's a lot of talent there but it just seemed like there was a raid if you know what i mean like it was like what usually it's like one or two big guys make a move and they kind of start it just looked like a raid this summer or in january uh and then they brought in Florian tovan from i think it was tigres in mexico where he's been for a couple of years which was weird which which was very weird that just kind of came out of nowhere and I kind of get that he was kind of filling in for a little bit of injury problems, but he, he's a winger. They've been playing him striker. He obviously had a really good time at Marseille, like a, years back now. But it just seemed like a really weird transfer that they were basically just trying to solve a problem. Udinese don't play with wingers. Their wingers are the wing backs, and obviously even De La Feo, who I guess they thought that Talvin was going to come in and sort of try and replicate what he could do. Um, which is very hard, and I think we touch on it in a bit. Like De La Feo's output for this Udinese team is incredible, but yeah, they they play him up top with Beto. So and Talvin doesn't really play like De La Feo. I guess he kind of just wanted to come back from to Europe from Mexico, and Udinese picked him up on a free. I mean, I guess it's low risk, but it's not really clicked so far. Uh, Martins was an interesting move, but he got loaned straight to Watford, so. <laughs> We'll see what goes on with that, I guess. Maybe it was easier for Watford to get him to go to Udinese um, through passports and things like that. Whether that's an actual Udinese signing or it's a circumvent the rules, possibly. We'll see, but yeah. It would be nice to think that, that he would come in because there's been a lot of South American talent coming to Syria and bedded in quite quickly and, and done well. Yeah, and I think also in January they lost Makengo to Lorient. And he was he was he was one of he's just another one of the good talent that they kind of have sold. But I think the important thing to say is who they've managed not who they've brought in or who they've sold, who they've managed to keep hold of is very important. Uh we, we've just touched on him there. Gerard Delafeu is amazing. He doesn't really he kinda of goes under the radar of how much he actually contributes 
just seem like you I think you you're the one who constantly puts out graphics and it's just oh yeah everyone hears like bold progression numbers and then there's just Delafeo just somewhere way up there because what happens is they play it to like the halfway line with Beto and then he picks it up and he just carries it so far forward which I think is the difference with him and Thorvan is that Thorvan is the guy who likes it in tighter areas around the box and he kind of is able to curl it in and shoot and score or create something I don't think he has that ability to carry it from deep that Delofeo has obviously he's been I think he's been out the last couple of weeks is that correct? Yeah, I think it's getting on a bit longer. It's been a while now, uh, and I'm not sure on the time frame of him coming back. But yeah, um, I am the one that does the crafting. He's always expected assists and, and progressive numbers. De La Vail ranks so highly in them. I think one of my crowning moments is that he liked one of them once. <laughs> so that's fun. He, he he searches his name on Twitter. You, he 100% searches his name on Twitter. He likes so many graphics of him like that promote his stuff. And I'm not trying to undermine your graphic here by saying he just likes everyone who mentions his name. But he definitely searches his name on Twitter. He 100% does. I think he loves that, that, that whole side of it. And it's good to see him like promote himself and things like that. He was obviously at Watford for a while. He was at Everton he's bounced around since leaving Barca but yeah Udinese has become like this home for him he was so good in that first half of the season that I remember there being shouts that he should be in the Spain squad so it's not really a, a place you'd expect a Spain player to be playing as Udinese like mid to bottom table of Serie A so yeah that just his influence on that team is huge and I think that's kind of his injuries coincided with a drop in form Udinese don't really like the ball in the middle of the park and if teams put like a low block up against them Udinese need chaos they don't like trying to attack against a structured completely set defence and De La Feu is the guy that can kind of unlock that and they don't have that right now yeah I, I mean I'd like to point out by the way that it's been very hard to watch Udinese over the past couple of weeks, hence why I said a couple of weeks. I think I started watching them after the World Cup again, and I was like, God, this is awful. And then I didn't watch them for a while, and I think I watched like the last couple of games, because um, we spoke about doing this episode, and I was like, I'll catch up on a couple of the games. But yeah, they've not been good to watch, and DFA missing is a big part of that. Beto has been good. He's only got eight goals, though. I think his output's kind of dropped off from last season. In terms of, and I think part of that is obviously he doesn't have the foil that he once had. And I think that that's kind of been a big, big miss for them. We're going to talk about this and how they're going to do for the rest of the season. But I think when you look at this Udinese team, it, the problem is, is they don't score enough goals. And then they seem to lose concentration when they do score goals. And then they concede one and draw or concede one and lose or concede a couple and lose. It's just... It's just kind of problematic for them. They just can't they can't get a hold on games at all. And the fact is, I think if they were able to kind of have DFA and Beto doing that sort of thing where they score like two or three goals, and then there was that lapse in concentration that sees them concede one or two, they would be okay. But I think they just don't have that sort of, they don't seem to have control of the game enough in any of the phases of play. Which makes it really hard to pick out a player that we've really been impressed by this season. <laughs> I think when when the last ten weeks have been awful to watch it makes it really hard to pick out a play that we liked but obviously we have done it we both have a name in mind i'm gonna let you go first and you can maybe rebuke some of the stuff i said in terms of the phases of play or how your player helps those phases of play yeah uh, on beto just quickly i think like he is like 
such a traditional striker like he's not going to create chances for himself so if no one else is creating them he's going to really struggle like he plays off the shoulder he just pops up which is where my guy kind of comes in or it's something he can definitely work on I've gone for uh, Lazar Samardzic who was born in Germany but just recently declared to play for Serbia he's 20 years old but yeah he plays as the right-sided eight in Udinese's system, so they play with three central midfielders. Samardzic is, he, he, he is an eight in a sense, but he plays a lot like an attacking midfielder and he's a lot more comfortable attacking than he is defending, but I guess I'll get onto that in a second. What's really good about him is his ability to carry the ball. Uh, he's six foot and he's big and you can, you can see that, but he is very elegant. He's got a lot of skill. He, He's great at evading pressure, which helps with Udinese kind of bursting out of those transitions. So if someone presses him, he's able to, to roll them. He's able to faint his body. He's really good at that. And he has a strong pass with the ball. You often see him sort of pick the ball up in that right half space area and he, he'll sweep it out to a doji or that that's sort of where the left wing back will be and that'll create space and that's what Udinese want. They want catch those defences off guard and create spaces and then he is very Frank Lampard he likes to pop up on the edge of the box although his ball striking is very composed he doesn't tend to blast the ball when he shoots he, he tends to, to place it even from outside the box he's scored four goals this season I think the majority of them are from just outside the box he's left-footed as well so yeah he's he's been key in the past few weeks to maybe them picking up draws and things like that he's still 20 years old so to put this the whole perform on on the fact that he's in there is is not okay but he is probably going to be that key guy for Udinese to develop now that Udoji's obviously been sold to Tottenham it'll be interesting to see his development but yeah I really really like him if you look at like FB Ref most similar players his are Kamada Odegar. So that gives you a sense of the type of midfielder that he is. On the downside, he is very poor right now at picking up his man. He doesn't really win that many defensive duels. So Udinese lose concentration. He does lose concentration a lot and lets his man go. I think if you look at Udinese's last game, which was against Spezia, they went 1-0 down because they lost the ball in the middle of the park and had already pushed up and there was an overload for Spezia. And then Udinese turned around, they were 2-1 up against a team they really should be beating with about 15 minutes to go. And Udinese swung in a corner and before you knew it, they, Udinese had one man back and Spezia had about three men forward. And Samarzic is one of those guys that's, that's trying to track back, but he's not got his man. And Spezia equalised and Udinese blow like an easy, what should have been an easy three points from there on out. He's really, really good on the ball and he, he's really excited in that sense. He's got a lot to work on off the ball, but I think he's been my standout in the past six months or so for, for Udinese. Yeah, he's, he, he's got four goals and two assists this season, uh, just to throw in the stats there. And been linked away from Udinese, I think obviously he's been linked, I think, with Napoli. Yeah, I think obviously Napoli, in terms of their players, their players are very relentlessly locked in at all times. So I don't know if there'll be that'll be a move that they look to make. It might just be the fact that it looks like a smart deal on paper. If if they can get him for like Udinese signed him for three million, if they can get him for like ten to fifteen, then that's probably a player that they think they can flip in a couple of years or make into a world beater. But yeah, I, I'm going to... Someone you mentioned there, uh, sort of like the relentless warrior on the left-hand side that is Destiny Hidoji. Absolute, just tank of a man. Honestly, he's <sighs> relentless. I think 
it's something that you kind of we kind of lost in right backs. I think in the last couple of years, in terms of like you have these these players who are kind of very good at one thing, and they kind of they're, they're very good at either in the creative areas, they're very good at defending, they're kind of very good at progressing up the pitch. He's just an all-round beast of a man. <laughs> I mean, he's 19 years old, so he's not really a man yet. And this is probably where the development comes in. But he reminds me a lot of um, Mycon, I think is probably the way to do it. Like, technically, he needs to get a lot of levels up to get to the Mycon level. But in terms of how you'll be coming back and he'll be kind of on you and trying to muscle you off the ball and kind of physically dominate you, and then you'll pick the ball up off you and he'll just absolutely charge forward with it. It's that sort of memories that I have of that sort of player. I think this season has kind of been a bit of a learning curve for him though. I think he's kind of not contributed as much as he did last season. I think he's kind of... Some of his bad habits have kind of shone through this season. I think he holds onto the ball a bit too much at times. I don't think he... Occasionally he doesn't seem to make the right runs. I think he, he likes making these runs inside and kind of getting into the box and getting into shooting areas. But then sometimes you look at Udinese and they want to play with a width. And I think obviously since they haven't had Deo Feo to kind of create on the on the opposite side of Beto, he kind of is then just running into a box where there's no one creating for them. So he's kind of like, well, you need to stay wide and do that yourself as well. But I think I think he's still one of the better players. Obviously. He's not going to be that player for much longer. He's probably going to go to Tottenham. Whether that's under Antonio Conte, who could probably get a, a really good tune out of him or not, is another thing. But yeah, I I, I really like him. I think he, I think he's a great player, and I think he'll obviously improve as time goes on because he has a lot of lot of lot of time in front of him to do it. Yeah, he is. He's relentless. Um, there was a goal against. He scored against Roma early in the season when Udinese blew Roma out of the water. I think it was like four 0 where someone crossed it to the the, the far post. Karsdorp, the, the fullback for Roma, kind of chested it down t- towards to go to his goalkeeper. But, and then you just see this guy <laughs> charging in and sliding and the ball's in the back of the net and Adoji's snuck in before the keeper can even react to score. I think, like you said, it's, it has been a harder season for him, especially with De La Feo out. He does like to cut inside and De La Feo, even though his starting position is next to Beto, kind of can rotate out towards that wing and let um, Udoji come inside and underlap. But now it's Isaac's success there, who is the striker that doesn't score. I don't think he has a goal this year. One of, one of the most ironic names in the history of football, Isaac's success, and I don't, I've hardly ever seen him score or win a game. <laughs> it's just like... But he needs to kind of adapt to those circumstances. It's not always going to be perfect for him. It'll be interesting to see like how his career develops. If Conte leaves... Tottenham. Tottenham have kind of banked on going with this three at the back, five at the back system with the players they've brought in. If the guy, next guy that Tottenham bring in plays four at the back, Udoji's only ever really played as a wing back. He's not played as a full back. It's a, there is like a, a big difference in that. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. And the kind of lack of success that Spurs have had. I know that like Ryan Sessegnon's there and Tottenham fans complain about him. Perisic has often been used further up the pitch and is getting older. I wonder if it would have maybe been better for Doji to go right away, but obviously he stayed. And I think that is to Udinese's benefit. Um, although I do think they sold him slightly too early. I think they maybe could have kept on to him and sold him for more this coming summer. But that's hindsight. I think he's 
he's very, very good, and I think he's probably the most likely to hold that spot in the Italian national team in the future as well. Yeah, I, I think as uh, his decision making is is the big thing, and I think like as we say, he's, he's nineteen years old. He's not gonna he's not gonna know have all the experience, all the know how to do everything he needs to do going forward. I think obviously if if he ends up an under a manager uh, four at the back, I think there's there's going to be a betting in period. And the problem is, is with Tottenham, is how they are at the moment. It's just like whether they have the time. But then again, looking at the options that they have at left left back when he comes in, I think even though he's not suited to a four at the back, he's the most suited of who they have. Like Perisic is not a natural left back. Ryan Sessegnon is a winger who they made a left wing back like from Fulham. Like both of the other two options are incredibly attacking and have no defensive output. Where at least a dodgy has that kind of coming back nature to him as well but yeah I think I think in general that's kind of like the team I think where we should probably end off is where do we see them at the end of the season I think we kind of showed our hand very early on by saying they're the the definition of uh, mid table (laughs) and I think that's kind of where I think they're gonna sit I think obviously Juventus's rise up the table is kind of will push one of the the bigger teams who are kind of kind of sneaking into the top six into the best of the rest race and then they will be the best of the rest you look at Bologna you look at Torino you look at Atalanta they're just better teams who look like they can get results more consistently but yeah I, I, I'm going to go with mid-table again for Udinese I think also shout out one more guy is uh, Wallace the defensive midfielder uh, he is like a proper Brazilian defensive midfielder like he's not great on the ball but he will stop an attack by any means necessary. Is, is Alexandro at Tottenham and QPR like that guy who was just he will just clatter someone, clean someone out, and the tackle might go to one of your own players. If you were gonna put your house on someone to get booked in an Udinese game, it's it's gonna be Wallace. But he does it in situations where they need to do it. So I think he's really key to that team. Even though obviously there's deficiencies with having someone not great on the ball there, and it does show at times. But I think he's. Played over 100 games for them now, and he's been a really good servant. In terms of where Udinese will finish, yeah, without De La Feo, it look, doesn't look great. It, it certainly doesn't look as good as it was before the World Cup. I think what's troubling, I don't know if it's troubling for Udinese, I don't know what the expectation of them where to finish is, is that Torino, I think, are just a better team than them, and I think Torino have the benefit of having one of the best coaches in the league and just a slightly bigger budget than the teams around them. You've got Bologna, who seem to be clicking into place. You have Fiorentina, who have picked up since our last, since we last, I last had them as a disappointing team. They seem to not be able to stop winning games, so that's fun. And they have again a bigger budget, a better squad, a bigger squad, and an, and probably a better manager again. So we could see Udinese slip down towards maybe. 12th, 13th, I think that's probably where I'll have them. I think they'll their highest is going to be about 10th, 9th but yeah, they're a mid-table team but they are interesting and I think from like a scouting perspective, from a youth player perspective, they've always got exciting guys and they do do some interesting things on the pitch. Yeah, I think that's the big thing with the scouting as well it's like that's kind of where you limit them in terms of why they always stay about mid-table in terms of the best guys will always get picked up by someone else and kind of they'll always have one big sale. It's like, oh, Rodrigo de Paul has done amazingly well and has, has helped them climb up the table. Oh, he's gone. Molina's done really well and helped them climb up the table. He's gone. Both to Atletico Madrid, which I think Atletico Madrid is just, he's just looking. Simeone just likes watching Serie A matches on his day off 
And he's like, ah, tune into Udinese. <laughs> we'll do that, that this weekend. But yeah, I think I think that's the thing. Like, it's just that turnover. It's the model. It works for them. It kind of does does its job, and they kind of sit in that position. And maybe it's one of those things that maybe at one point it will click for them and they'll get into European place because I think that's the benefit of smart scouting and we've seen that in other leagues. I think in the Premier League, say Brentford is a very good example of that. It's just where they've signed the right players. They obviously know what sort of players they want to sign. They've kind of signed these like underrated gems and they've all just clicked at once and just all shown why they were picked up by a bigger team. And then they've kind of gone up the table. But yeah, I think Udinese this season, it's going to be a mid-table fight for them. And hopefully, it is very close. I mean, I don't think they'll drop into relegation, but hopefully they don't drop too far down in terms of like past past that to 15, 16, 17. I think that's, I think that's everything. I think we've kind of given a nice little uh, rounded look at one of, one of the lesser appreciated teams in Syria, and I think I, I'm quite happy with that episode. Actually, I'm quite, I'm quite, <laughs> I'm quite nice. I'm quite, I'm quite happy with what we said. I'm quite happy with where it went, and I, and I think it's a, it's a good roundup. So hopefully, we, we've been talking about it. We don't know; it's not confirmed yet, but we might have a guest next week, bring another expert to the table, someone who will shut down Danny as well when he starts talking about Scottish players. But hope you enjoyed this episode. Anything you want to say, Danny, before we? we get off I'm going to be really weird I think where Udinese are geographically it's quite interesting like they're kind of tucked away in the top right <laughs> there's no one really that close to them I think they're next to Eastern Europe so it's nice to have a team that are constantly like in a different there's like that hotbed that you could throw a blanket over of like most teams in Italy so it's nice to have one that's that's tucked up there yeah the, the, the Southampton and Bournemouth away of 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 Italy, of just like you have to get a couple of buses and a plane, and they're just like, oh yeah, now we're having a way match, and we'll see what happens. But yeah, thank you again for tuning in. This has been the seriously seriously good podcast. We're delighted that you're still tuning in. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.